An hour from now, speaking of how it's hot in here, we're going to head to the Middle East, Qatar, site of the World Cup. And it's coming up quick. It's, it's a little strange, right, over the holidays. It's not generally when we have a World Cup, but because it's in the Middle East, because of the heat, which can be well into the triple digits uh, in their summertime. It's not the summertime in Qatar. Instead, it is their winter, quote unquote, but it's still a desert country. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's on a peninsula east of Saudi Arabia. It's a small country in the Middle East. Uh, so it's kind of north and a little bit west of the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. It's a long way to go for a World Cup, and it's not a large nation. So I'm really interested to get first perspective and first blush from Stephen Goff, who is a, a very well-traveled and well-versed soccer insider for the Washington Post. And he doesn't just cover the U.S. men's national team or the, or the World Cup. He also covers MLS and uh, a lot of other leagues, even some soccer at the college level, too. And so we're really pleased to have him. The last time we talked to him was when I think he was on the road. I can't remember what country the United States was in when they were qualifying for the World Cup. Was it? It was one. It was it Central America, South America. He was there. Maybe it was was a Honduras, Costa Rica, maybe. Okay, maybe it was one of those around there. And he was there, and we were able to connect with him there. We don't actually talk to him when he's in the United States because that would be boring. Uh, instead, we talk to him when he's on the road, and he is eight hours ahead of us here in New York City, and he's eleven hours ahead of those of you who are listening on the West Coast. And so right now. It's 11 o'clock in the morning in Cutter, and we'll be able to catch him uh, with us coming up next hour. Pretty excited. Uh, even as the U.S. men's national team is preparing for its return to the World Cup stage, uh, we get our first guest from Cutter. So that's an hour from now on After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Do you need to know what it takes for a home to fit your budget and your family? Rocket can. We've got our poll up still on Twitter, A-Law Radio or After Hours CBS. And the poll is about morbid, miserable, mortified teams on a Monday. I did retweet it a little while ago, but I'm going to do it again just so it's uh, top of my newsfeed if you want to check it out. The idea, though, is that... There are teams that waste opportunities. There are teams that can't get out of a rut. Every week, there are teams that are tempted to play the what-if game. And I definitely believe the Buffalo Bills are feeling that way after coughing up a 27-10 lead against the Vikings at home. That was late in the third quarter. They were up by 17 points, and they end up losing in just such unthinkable fashion. I, I just can't, still can't comprehend that Josh Allen at his center had a poor exchange literally on the half-yard line that was recovered for a touchdown. I mean, it's just, it was brutal the way that it happened. And on into overtime, I know that wasn't the end, but on into overtime. And the Bills are right now running second in our poll, if you want to check it out. I know a lot of you have weighed in on Facebook as well. Outpacing the field, though, getting more than half your vote at this point, the Vegas Raiders, who lost to a team coached by Jeff Saturday. Former Pro Bowl offensive lineman, a captain, a guy that played with Peyton Manning, has a Super Bowl ring, on the field, was a talker, was a leader. He's got spirit, energy. He loves the Colts. He was working as a consultant for Jim Irsay. 
Although Joe Thomas called him Jim Ursay's drinking buddy. Either way, his hiring signified a major shift away from Frank Reich, who had been there for five plus years, to a guy with no experience beyond the high school level. And I'm sure if you paid any attention to the NFL, whether it be pregame shows or TV radio, maybe NFL Network, you heard the mixed reaction to Jeff getting the nod and taking over with no experience. And Jim Irsay's already indicated he wants this to be more than the eight games left in this regular season. But yeah, there were players in the league as well as former players and coaches who took major exception to Jim giving Jeff Saturday this job and essentially appointing him as the interim head coach. Now imagine if you're the Raiders. We know Derek Carr cried in frustration, and I appreciate him wearing his heart on his sleeve. I was teasing about how I don't want to see a guy cry after a loss. You want to cry after a win. You want to cry after a particularly poignant or emotional moment. Crying after a loss, eh. But I do respect the man that he will stand up there, and he will let you know exactly how he's feeling. I'm just pissed off. We Yes, pissed off with tears. I get it. I'm crying when I'm happy. I'm crying when I'm sad. Sometimes I cry when I want to throw things. <laughs> Keeps me from throwing things. Crap. <laughs> anyway, those Raiders lost to Jeff Saturday's Indianapolis Colts. It was probably one of the more astounding results we've had all season long. Unless, of course, you've been paying attention to the Raiders. But, man. Talk about a lift. I don't know that it's going to continue, but a huge lift. When Saturday went back to Matt Ryan and when Matt Ryan led the charge on Sunday. Ryan to throw, crossing pattern inside the 20 to go to the Colts. 10 at the 5, and they will score a touchdown with Paris Campbell. That's a 36-yard crossing pattern all the way to the house for Paris Campbell. And the Colts are back on top as Paris finds Pater. Can you hear the fans in Vegas? I don't know if they have zero rooting interest, they just hate the Raiders, or they're actually Colts fans who are making the trip, even though their team has been abysmal and just made a coaching change. Matt Taylor on Colts Radio. Now, Jeff Saturday says this is not it. (laughs) Saturday wins on Sunday. Uh, He says this is not it. We don't expect this to be just one week, and then we're back to the, the old ways. Sustainability, we talked about it last night, right, is that this is, you know, we still got a lot of games left and and we have uh, processes in place that that we know we have to we have to achieve and we have to execute to. Um, And so we talked about that last night on the plane ride home. Hey, here's, you know, making sure roles were clarified, anything that had to be moved around or adjusted a little bit. You know, the biggest adjustments that I've made so far, most likely, you know, from a scheduling point, I want to make sure that's not taxing the staff even more because the process to me is the most important. Excited as we were about beating the Raiders, we got to go play the Eagles. You know, the game the game don't change. It keeps moving on. So uh, we got another opportunity this week, and, and uh, we're excited about it. He's fired up. We'll say that. The man has plenty of energy, and you know that initially players will respond to that. Now, is it sustainable? He's the word that used sustainability, like we're talking about recycling, climate change, sustainability. Uh, 
it won't be enough that he has enthusiasm and energy. There's got to be more to it. He installed a play caller who's never done that job either. But he did bring back a veteran leader on the field, and I actually believe that's a brilliant move. Not only because if you're really trying to win, Matt Ryan gives you the best chance to win, but also because Sam Ellinger is still learning how to lead in a huddle. Leading at Texas is not the same as leading in the NFL. And if you want an extension of yourself on the field, very often a veteran quarterback is the way that you do it. And so he needs Matt Ryan as much as Matt wants to play. Jeff Saturday needs Matt Ryan's voice on the field. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. It's kind of funny, though, to hear Matt talk about, and and Matt did speak on, I mean, he spoke after the win on Sunday, but also spoke Monday about how he found out. He was kind of in the dark, too, and didn't realize it until a couple days ago. Like everybody, it was a whirlwind of a week. Um, And Thursday was my first opportunity to get out and practice. And um, I didn't really know, but I felt like if I could put together, you know, a good week, um, and that week only being two days, maybe there was a chance. I didn't know. I I, I didn't know. And so um, really Friday afternoon started to get a a feel for how it might go. Uh, And then he kind of talked to everybody and and let us know where we're at. But, um, I mean, I I just, you know, when when he asked me about it earlier in the week, I I really just said, you know, I, I only know one way to do it. I let him be the guy on Thursday to see, you know, what he was going to feel like. What does it look like? How does he throw? Because, I mean, you know, from my perspective, I haven't seen him. Yeah, I don't know what practice looks like for him. And so I needed to get a good feel of his command in the huddle. I had seen Sam on Wednesday, um, was very pleased with how he played on Wednesday. And then uh, on Thursday, I wanted to see what Matt looked like. To me, he looked really good. So I backed it up the same way on Friday, let him go at it, wanted to see what two days would feel like for him. Um, He kept assuring me, you know, man, I feel good. I feel fine. But again, from a guy, you know, who, who hadn't been here in the building, I, you know, I, I wanted to make sure what all that looked like. But I thought Friday's practice, in all honesty, was our best practice of the week and, and was the most spirited and, and uh, was the most precise. Very few uh, errors. I felt like our tempo was really good. And so that's when, you know, that, that, that's really what gave, solidified it for me. And it worked. Matt Ryan looked rejuvenated. He didn't turn the ball over. He was not quite a speed demon, but he was using both his legs and his arm to be able to lead the team. And it was clean, efficient football. Yes, it was against the Raiders, but a win is a win is a win is a win. However, not everybody is supporting him. By now, maybe you've heard it. Maybe you saw it when it was happening. Hall of Fame coach Bill Cower took a couple minutes and was very passionate in denouncing this move by Jim Irsay on the NFL on CBS. You know, guys, I I played in National Football League for five years. I went on to become an assistant coach right from playing the coach, and I was assistant coach for seven years. Hmm. Blessed to be able to go to Pittsburgh and be a head coach at the age of 34 for 15 years. I'm speaking on behalf of the coaching profession. I know for a fact that Jeff Sarity was offered an opportunity to become an assistant coach with the Indianapolis Colts multiple times in the last four years. 
He declined, citing that he had a TV job and wanted to spend more time with his family. Mm -hmm. I get it. That's fair. I get it. Coaching is about commitment and it's about sacrifice. It's not just a job. It's a lifestyle. That being said, Jeff Saturday has taken a position this year as a consultant for the Indianapolis Colts. Mm -hmm. And he's talked to them weekly from his home in Atlanta. Wow. Now to find out on Monday, in that short period of time, he's now the head coach of the new Indianapolis Colts, overseeing a staff that he chose not to, not to choose. Not to join. Because of a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Jeff Sari talked about in his first press conference the fact that he's going to use his second half as an opportunity oh. to build his resume, to see whether or not he can coach in the future. Mm. I say to that, what about the assistants on the staff right now? The guys that were there in training camp, the guys that were there early in the morning and late at night, the guys that have gone through the first six weeks in that building, guys like Gus Bradley, Scotty Montgomery, uh, John Fox, don't they deserve the opportunity for an owner to hire a coach who's never been an assistant at the college level or the pro level and overseeing a very much a lot of candidates that are qualified for that job, as we see in Steve Wilkes, an opportunity to build a resume. It's a disgrace to the coaching profession. Mm. And regardless of how this thing plays out, what happened in Indianapolis is a travesty. It's a disgrace to the coaching profession. I appreciate the passion of Bill Cower. And I will say this. I felt very similarly to him when that old show Dream Job used to air on, I think it was ESPN, which was, by the way, my former company. I was there for nearly a decade. And I remember thinking about this concept of Dream Job where it's a game show and people essentially do an audition. They've got no real experience, just a, dreams. And they automatically get a job with one of the biggest sports media companies in the world. And it's annoying and it's frustrating. And it happens all the time in pretty much every business and every industry on this planet. Sometimes it's about who you know. Sometimes it's about your connections. Sometimes it has zero to do with your skill and your ability and your experience and your resume. And it's more about your last name. Sometimes it is a friend hiring a friend, even if that friend is not necessarily qualified. And as much as I appreciate what Bill Cower has to say, and I empathize with him because I feel like I've been in that space. In my business, I've seen people get jobs that I was more qualified for, but they had the in with the boss or the program director or the general manager, or they happened to be buddies. Or, hell, they just happen to be men. I've been in that situation before. But ultimately, this is Jim Ursay's team. And Jim Ursay can hire whomever he wants to hire. It's a private business. I mean, it's part of an organization. And so I respect Coach Coward to the hilt. And again, I feel for him. There's a lot of coaches I feel for. You all know that I've said before that that I'm thrilled for coaches when they get the opportunities. They've toiled away. The whole situation with, oh my gosh, remind me 
who was the who was the coach last year in Houston who waited 40 years to get the head coaching job? David Culley. And then he was like a sacrificial lamb and he was out. I hate it when coaches get used as pawns. And, of course, they very often get fired even when it's not their fault. I don't love what happened to Frank Reich, though he's going to land on his feet and he's going to coach again. The Rooney rule doesn't apply here because it's an interim head coach. But, yes, Bill Cowher is right. There are a lot of coaches out there who are deserving, more deserving of opportunities. Jeff Saturday had the chance to work his way onto the ladder and then up the ladder, and he chose not to because he didn't want to give up his lifestyle. But now that it's a head coach and he can cut to the front of the line, and he's probably making a hell of a lot more money, and maybe he said to Jim Ursay, you want me to come coach? Well, then I want Matt Ryan as my starter. Maybe that's what happened because we know Jim Ursay wanted to scrap Matt Ryan and move to Sam Ellinger. That wasn't Frank Reich's opinion all by himself. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things not to like about this. Ultimately, though, it's not hiring by committee. Jim Ursay is the voice and the boss. Like a Jerry Jones in Dallas. Now, he's got advisors around him. I would assume that, or I would hope that Jim listens to his general manager. But, yeah, this was his hire. And he's clearly not concerned with people who might be more qualified. He's thinking this is an experiment where he can figure out whether or not Jeff Saturday wants to be a head coach or can coach. And also, he was able to lure him by giving him what he wanted where he couldn't get him to be on the staff before. Again, I, I respect Coach Cowher so much, and I believe and, and empathize a lot of what he's saying is true. It's just that it's not the coaching fraternity's job. It's, this is not a union. This is not a democracy. <laughs> this is Jim Ursay doing what he wants for his club. As for Jeff Saturday... He was asked about not just Bill Cowher's criticism, but others who've said he's not deserving. I have been very good about not reading, not listening, not really being concerned with, um, but I have had to remind my family, and, and I, I'm glad I do, because that just shows the loyalty we have to each other uh, about, listen, man, the, the, the Lord is our defender. He's our, you know, he promotes, he directs, and and so don't be concerned with outside. I felt, you know, I felt conviction about the the opportunity. I knew I was going to take it for um, for those reasons, and, and I have no... Um, yeah, I got, I got no qualms with what anybody says about their opinion. Great. Uh, if they disagree with it, still love them. Not really worried about it. I got other things I got to take care of. But uh, to get a win, really for the guys in this building, for the staff, uh, man, it, it meant the world. So Jeff Saturday taking the high road, and I appreciate that he is. There's nothing to be gained for him to clap back at the people who are saying he doesn't deserve it. And his job now, his focus should be internal on the Colts. If he does truly want to earn a head coaching job, well, he's got an eight-game audition that was handed to him. Hope he makes the best of it. And hope his team turns around. It'll be interesting to see how Jim Ursay handles this moving forward if they don't end up with a winning record. On Twitter, A-Law Radio. Also on our Facebook page. All of that notwithstanding, that game still featured my favorite play of the entire weekend. 
<laughs> which we'll get to coming up a little bit later on. We also will present your candidates for TD of the week. And we've got your defender of the week that we still have to name. Updates on injuries. That's straight ahead. And then top of the hour, a guest from Cutter. I've never had a guest from the Middle East on any of my shows before. And this is really amazing. Stephen Goff, longtime soccer insider for the Washington Post. He will join us at the top of the hour because it's right in his wheelhouse. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Josh Allen puts Gabe Davis in motion, and Davis is behind Allen, and he tried to push him. He didn't get out of there! He didn't get out! He did not get out! That's the safety! Give it to us! Give us the safety! Look at what's taking so long. Oh, the ball came out! Yeah, drop that ball, Josh Allen! That ball came loose! Holy cow! This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. That's when the wheels came off. Though the Bills did have an opportunity in overtime after they gave up that touchdown to the Minnesota Vikings, Paul Allen and Pete Burchich on Vikings Radio, by the way. Side note, Paul will join us on tomorrow night's show. It's been a while since we've had him. He'll be very animated, I am sure. We love having Paul on the show. Anyway, after that moment, that touchdown recovered in the end zone by Eric Hendricks, the Bills were able to go five plays and kick the tying field goal and send this game into overtime at Orchard Park against Minnesota. Lost the coin flip, though, again, only gave up a field goal to the Vikings on their first possession of OT and had an opportunity to tie this game, driving into tie or win, driving into the end zone or red zone. And then Josh Allen throws yet another interception. So he was frustrated, but he said it had absolutely nothing to do with his thumb, or uh, not his thumb, that's Aaron Rodgers, with his sprained UCL, that he had felt better and better, that the training staff had gotten him fully prepared to play. And you wonder how it was feeling on Monday, Sean McDermott. We're just one day at a time. You know, he came out of the game uh, in a good spot. So we'll just see where he goes this week. So not a whole lot of information, but if he's playing, he's playing. And a good spot is how Sean McDermott identified it. We are just one day at a time. Uh, let's see. There, there was a moment, I think, that people were focusing on, which is why the question was being asked, um, that Josh Allen was frustrated over the pick. Do you remember he threw an interception? Patrick Peterson picked him off twice. But I think the first one he threw, he – he was prone on the field for a minute and people like the the training staff and the coaches are rushing to him thinking something's wrong. Um, but according to McDermott, and this is what it felt like to me, he was just so angry at himself. He was so frustrated that it wasn't anything to do with his elbow or any other body part other than his brain. He was just so upset that he needed a minute to to lie there. And so he did that and, and McDermott did in fact clarify that that's what he was doing when he met the media on Monday. We've got all kinds of big developments as we move forward into this next week. For instance, Deshaun Watson is back at practice with the Cleveland Browns. And so Kevin Stefanski was answering questions about him 
on Monday about whether or not it will be strange or awkward or weird to have Deshaun just kind of walk back onto the team. The next step for Deshaun is getting out there and being able to practice. We as coaches can be out there with him now and, and work with him, which we haven't been able to do. So we'll have a plan for him to start getting ready. I think everybody kind of understands the, the situation uh, that we're in. Uh, the guys understand Deshaun and, and being a great teammate, he's going to get his work in. Jacoby's going to do the same. So I just see it as the next step for uh, Deshaun uh, being able to practice. However, according to Stefanski, he's not going to make a, co- a quarterback change. So I don't know if this is a situation that's fluid. It's week to week, but uh, this is what he said. Jacoby is 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 the number one priority in getting him ready to play in this game. So whatever we do with Deshaun uh, won't take away from Jacoby's preparation. Now, I do, it sounds like he means for the upcoming week, right? So Deshaun is suspended through week 11. I would be hard-pressed to envision a situation where the owners of the Browns, who are paying him not as much money this year, of course, but are paying him a fully guaranteed contract, are not making sure that he is on the field come week 12, even if he's not ready. And think about how long it's been since Deshaun has played football in a game that matters. So there could certainly be uh, a bumpy re-entry, if you will. But he's set to return to practice on Wednesday. And for now, well, he's been in team meetings going back about a month now. Uh, He's been able to work out. He just hasn't been able to practice with the Browns. Uh, So they will practice on Wednesday. And they have a plan for him. But the priority is Jacoby Brissett. The team's not, I mean, they've got a few wins. But they're not a winning team. Maybe that changes when Deshaun gets back on the field. Maybe it doesn't. Either way, like I said, it feels like the Haslam's would step in. Wait, Haslam's? Yes. Okay. Jimmy and D. Haslam. How weird is it that I know their names, their first names? Um, that they would step in and say, "No, nah, no, nah, he needs to be, he needs to be working at his craft." If for no other reason than the rest of the season may not be productive, meaning it may not put us in the playoffs. We may not have a lot of success, but at least he can shake the rust off in these games that are coming up where we may end up losing anyway. So. That's that's what it's all about. Because you, you cannot have Deshaun Watson go into next year and the first time he touches the field right. be next season in week one when you're trying. You can't do that. You know, again, whether or not he should be playing or not, it's a different story. He's going to be eligible against the Texans mm-hmm. in week 13. Once he's eligible, if you're the Browns, You've got to get him on the field. You've got to get him back to playing the football that he was playing with Houston a couple of years ago, the last time he was actually productive. Marco Belletti's here with us in studio. Uh, still ahead, we've got the update on Cooper Cup. But Marco promised us an entertaining, funny story. So oh, well, this let's better not, be good. Let's not overblow this thing. All I said was a funny little thing. What, I, I had to take my car in, make it some noise. That's normal. You got 125,000 miles on a car. Ooh, nice. You're going to have noise. Yes. So that, that that's fine. Now, I was lucky after being there about an hour and I had an appointment. They were like, look, we're going to take you home, um, even though you live like a half hour away, simply because we're so backed up. And I'm like, you sure? They're like, yeah. I said, all right, great. Good. I don't have to spend my whole day here. Tremendous. So I get the call and it winds up being not a big deal. Okay, great. So no problem. He's like, one other thing, though. And I said, sure. He goes, on your right passenger tire, you're missing two lug nuts and a third one's loose. No way. I said, a what now? And he said, yeah, they're two gone. You want me to replace those? I was like, whoa, 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 time out. 
You're telling me two lug nuts and a third one is loose? I was like, if I'm doing 90 on the oh drive home, gosh. I'm like, how how close was I to the tire just flying right off the car? He's like, yeah, it could have been a problem. <gasps> I said, could that have been partly that noise that I was hearing? He was like, could have been. Could have oh, been. Oh my he was gosh. very matter of fact about this whole thing. And then he kept asking me, so you want me to replace them, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, duh. yes, I do. Did you now, say duh? How the hell did I drop two lug nuts and have a third one loose? Now, I know there's a lot of potholes in New York City. I understand yes. that. That seems a bit extreme. Yes. Now, the other plausible thing is possibly my wife's trying to kill me. That's possible. No. I, I don't but know. But maybe somebody else in your neighborhood. Uh, no, they don't know me, so I doubt that. Mulligan. <laughs> so there's the... <laughs> That's right. I mean, I can't imagine it was a sick joke. Like, I mean, what, what are we doing here? They're no, going to do that and then see what... Whatever the vibration was on the tire, it was working those puppies out. Who knew? Wow. So part of my... You know, I got to put more oil into the car between oil changes because something's wrong, you know, with the pistons. Ah, that's the normal 125,000 miles. That I get. Yes. That was the lawnmower sound nuts. that I... The log nuts because I was hearing like a bar. Wow. Kind of clinking. And now I'm starting to think. And he was like, yeah, that's probably what that was. I'm like... Whoa, Again, wow. why are we being so matter of fact? Like, that's not good. I couldn't, lug nuts are not easy to pop off. No. That's, maybe that takes some, some effort. Maybe somebody was attempting to sabotage you. It wasn't you, was it? No, I don't know what you drive. However, I do know that we are similar when it comes to our used vehicles because I also have a car that, j actually, Princess Leia just passed 130,000 miles on Monday. Wow, I'm yeah. catching up, huh? Oof. You are, well, catching up. How how many did yours have when you got it? Nothing. Oh, so it was brand new. No, yeah, this car was right. new. Got it. So uh, bought I, it in 2013. I bought it in 2017, and she already had 15,000 miles on her. So since 2017, uh, so now five years, I've put 115,000 miles on her. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely. <laughs> My plan. You're lapping me here. I am. My plan is to at least hit 250. The car will be paid off in 11 months. So she, Princess Leia is going to go until the force leaves her completely. <laughs> I'm still super young. That's that's definitely my plan as well. But yeah. I, I, I haven't had payments in a while. This thing is 10 years old. So it's been a few years since yes. I've had the payment. Oh, I can't it. wait. I cannot wait. In fact, if I get a nice tax return, I may pay it off just because it was so good that I don't think my tax return will be that nice. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I certainly understand having older cars with, with all kinds of clanking and clinking. And that comes with but the territory, right? mine has lug nuts. Now I feel like I should check my lug nuts. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like now just I'm just careful. I, I usually check to see if the tire's flat. I will do that. Right. Sometimes because I don't want to deal with that when you get on the road oh, and all yeah. of a sudden I don't, I don't want to have to change a tire at, yes. you know, 5 o'clock in the morning and can't see. So I will sometimes when you get out of work just kind of touch all the tires and make sure I'm okay. I never thought to check the lug nuts in the middle of the night. Like <laughs> that's what I got to look at. Missing. <laughs> and two of them are gotten. The third one's loose. I mean, what that's am I dropping crazy. them every week? I'm dropping a lug nut. Like, what are we doing? You you make a good point though. Driving in the city is hazardous to your vehicle, and not just New York City. I know this is the case in many big cities where they can't keep up with the road work. Do you know? Since I've been in in the New York City area for the past ten years, I've had let's see. Three or four tires with nails in them. Mm -hmm. Why there are nails in the roads, I have no idea. But I keep having nails in my tires. And get this. I Well, my first like year here, I three times got flat tires from mm -hmm. going through potholes. Now, oh, yeah. I, now I know where they are. But do you know that one time I actually bent the rim? The, the pothole was so big you could have lost a small yeah. child in it. And I went, bam, right into it and bent a rim. Yep. Oh, damn yeah. it. Matter of fact, one of my <laughs> tires pumped. has a... 
<laughs> One of my tires has a plug right now because I went through a nail yeah, a couple months ago. It happens all the time. I'm sure it's... Different it's tire, though. City, yeah. So I, I was going to start yelling at the guy and be like, well, maybe it was the one that you plugged it, but it was a different tire. Never yell at a guy. What? What is that about? I was not thrilled with the casual, matter-of-fact way. Do you want me to replace the lug nuts? At least he told you. Wouldn't it have been worse if he hadn't? Well, that's kind of their job. Like, <laughs> he was great about no, everything. His I just job didn't under- was figuring out what the noise was. Yeah, I just- he was doing you a solid. You should send him a thank you note. He Look, saved your life. I was appreciative of everything except for the casual, nonchalant, well, do you want me to fix the... Yeah, I want you to put... Why would I not want the lug nuts on the... Maybe, like, he's, maybe he's used to high-maintenance customers who get upset at him if he fixes something without asking. in the circus? I'm not trying to... I mean, come on now. Okay. I think we're missing an obvious question here. Is there any chance the mechanic <gasps> stripped the lug Gee, nuts? why would you say that? I don't that? know. I'm just Look, saying it's a possibility. It's wow. definitely a possibility. would you say? You wouldn't know. It's a possibility. With, like I said, I had a different tire, same place. They plugged it with a nail about a month and a half ago. Is it possible that they were checking all the tires and they forgot to put the lug nuts on? Definitely plausible. Definitely plausible. But I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that because they're really good to me. So I want to believe we think. that it was a pothole or okay. my wife trying I to kill me. That. No, you're That's right. what I want to believe. That's dumb. She needs you to drive around. I'm uh, worth she's not, she's not trying to kill you. <laughs> just, just as a side, uh, Craig writes to us and says that Deshaun's not actually allowed to play until early December versus Houston because they've got the bye right. in there. Right. So I was thinking I was forgetting about the bye. So it's not... 11 weeks it's 11 games of course right and so I, he's you know what i don't even know what week it was i know it was a texan game because i thought that yeah. was very um convenient yeah <laughs> yes to have no, deshaun we knew watson that. i just was thinking yeah. i know i said 11 weeks or said week 12 because i forgot about their bye but it's actually week 13 because of the bye mm. 11 game suspension yes yeah. thank you craig all right coming up top of the hour we're going to go to cutter uh we've got your cooper cup update straight ahead you are listening to the after hours podcast Stafford has it, sets the laces, throws right side, end zone, Cooper Cup, touchdown LA! 9 to 10 for 6. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Oh, remind me who the voices of the Rams. JB Long, thank you. Cooper Cup is not only. An MVP, Super Bowl MVP, a triple crown winner last year. Uh, This is a guy who is so integral and valuable to everything that the Rams do on offense, whether he's got the ball or he doesn't, he commands attention. And considering the revolving door they've had at receiver, not just receiver, but running back as well, uh, the Cam Akers piece of this, uh, just the fact that they've had guys come and go, they need the stability and they also need the security blanket that is Cooper Cup because he and Matthew Stafford have such a great rapport, though, of course, Matt did not play this last weekend because he's in concussion protocol. However, it was a scary moment, and we've been waiting to get an update on Cooper Cup from an injury that he suffered in the fourth quarter against the Cardinals on Sunday. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Ian Rappaport delivers the latest about Cooper Cup. Yeah, it looked pretty painful. Sean McVay actually saying, yeah, Look pretty bad. Uh, he is having more tests today to determine just how serious and significant it is. It seemed, Andrew, like the Los Angeles Rams uh, did not have the worst-case scenario for Cooper Cup. 
No break, it seems like, which is probably good news. You look at the way it lands, it seems to be uh, one where in the wrong situation couldn't end up being a fracture. Not the case here. That is good news, but still expected to miss some time. And the worry is that it is some sort of a high ankle sprain. We'll see how severe that is. And the MRI obviously gonna, is going to tell more, but that is at least what they're looking at right now. So more information as it comes on Cooper Cup, who likely is going to miss uh, the coming games. Cooper Cup does, in fact, have a high ankle sprain, according to the testing. And so multiple insiders have indicated that the Rams are nervous, that he's going to miss extended period of time. Similar to the Mac Jones situation, and that's just one of the high ankle sprains that we've seen uh, remove players from the field for three, four weeks. High ankle sprains are the toughest to recover from. There's really not a whole lot you can do except to wait. And there's been no immediate word about how long Cooper will miss. But if they have any designs on jumping back into the playoff race, well, then they need Cooper on the field for Matthew Stafford. He actually entered the game, that's Sunday's game against the Cardinals, with 72 catches. He was on pace for over 150 over the course of this season. The single season record, by the way, goes back to when there were only, only, quote unquote, 16 games in a season. Um, But it's Michael Thomas, 2019, his record 149 catches in a season. So there's very real possibility that Cooper could have, would have, should have caught him. But if he's out for an extended period of time, that record would then be in jeopardy. But one more nerdy stat to throw at you. Nerd alert. This is how critical Cup is to what the Rams do on the field. Even as we question if they'll bring Odell Beckham Jr. back. I can imagine, though, if he's got multiple offers and they're from teams that have winning records, that maybe the Rams wouldn't be quite as appealing, though he does have a Super Bowl ring and seven touchdowns with them. But Cooper accounted for nearly 36% of the Rams' receptions this season, highest percentage for any player in the entire league. Nerd alert! He's critical, crucial, uber important. They cannot even think about winning without him honestly. And so we'll see uh, how long he's out. Cryptic. I could imagine Sean McVay wants to remain cryptic and not give opponents any opportunity to game plan for a team without a Cooper Cup. And yeah, Allen Robinson's not gotten a whole lot of work. Maybe this increases his saturation in the offense or puts a sense of urgency on he and Matthew Stafford coming up with a better rapport. It's after hours on CBS Sports Radio and on Twitter, A Law Radio. Always good to hear from you, uh, as well as on our Facebook page. Coming up next hour, we'll give you the candidates for TD of the week, plus my favorite moment of any game in week number 10. <laughs> a couple of other injury pieces of, of note to pass along. Jerry Judy, who got hurt early. On Sunday against the, who were they playing? I forgot. Oh, the Titans. Broncos and Titans were in Nashville. I uh, very often repressing what I see with the Broncos on the field. 
Uh, but Jerry Judy has been a bright light for them. And he was out there on the field, very first play from scrimmage for Denver, and he suffered a left ankle injury, more of an aggravation of one that he'd had. And then their center left the game late in the third quarter because he had a right shoulder injury. They've certainly lost a bunch of guys uh, to injuries, like many of the teams who have losing records in the NFL can claim. Both players are day-to-day right now. Uh, Still ahead on the show, Tom Brady, Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, on the status of his first-year head coach, Josh McDaniels. Uh, We've also, as I say, got TD of the Week and our Defensive Player of the Week. And there's still more. They're considering a coaching change in New York. Coaching change? Nope. They're considering... Well, they might be, but they're... (laughs) Oops. That that was a slip of the tongue. It wasn't even real. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, They're considering a quarterback change again, which could be one of the reasons why they may also make a coaching change (laughs) come the end of the season or at some point in New Orleans. But yes, uh, they're they're frustrated too, um, just losing this past weekend and and feeling like it's going from bad to worse uh, for Dennis Allen. Though, as I say, I'm not sure that he is back (laughs) on the hot seat. Also, Charlotte's flip-flopping again, for heaven's sakes. And then we've got your rookies of the year from Major League Baseball. But coming up in mere moments from Cutter, first ever interview from the Middle East. How about that? The U.S. men's national team preparing for its re-entry to the World Cup after eight long years. We'll talk to Stephen Goff on site. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.